that. We didn't even have to wait an entire show to, to retract what we said the previous week. We're just we're, getting caught up, man. Oh yeah, we're more and more efficient every episode. Hey there, hi there, hello there. You're listening to episode 189 of PHP Ugly, probably one of the best shows to tune into. We are marching to our 200th episode, where I then try to guilt one of my co-hosts into getting a PHP Ugly tattoo. But before we get to them... Let me get through my spiel. Despite what the title may lead you to believe, we are three passionate PHP developers who make a living coding. We get together to discuss coding, projects, work, tech, and running a small business. We talk about just about anything that catches our, our fancy, and from time to time, you may hear us complain about uh, release cycles. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host, Eric Van Johnson, and with me are my good friends, Thomas Rideout. Hello, hello. And John Congdon. That was a very good opening. I must say. Thank you. We are hovering with greatness, man. 200 episodes is like right around the corner. I never thought we'd get to 200 episodes. There's no way. And I didn't think we we'd get to five, let alone two. <laughs> well, I don't think you did make it to five. <laughs> Fair. So Fair. Listen, Very true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify because I get questions every now and then. We do this show every week, as I said earlier. We live Almost. stream the show. So, the, and then we then later we release an audio-only version of the podcast. Uh, the live stream is recorded on YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel and re-watch the live stream whenever you want. It's uh, youtube.com slash phpugly. Give us a follow. I'd love to get our follow numbers up on YouTube. But I, I'm always asked what Smash the that is. like button. If you, if you watch us live or if you watch us post live on YouTube, we don't edit the live stream. Uh... For example, today you saw us doing a lot of setup of a, of some new software, and then after the show we'll talk, and then even occasionally during the show there there are certain bits that not bits there are certain portions that might get cut out of the audio audio podcast. If you listen to the audio podcast, you get a more condensed version version of the show. We cut out a lot of the ums, ands, buts, and things like that. Uh, it's a little, a little smoother listening to that. But one of the questions that came up is people are always asking, how are we talking to people during the show? And it's because they're in our chat, in our Discord chat during the live show. That Discord chat is always available to you. Even if you can't participate in the live show, the people who listen to the show and the people who are passionate about PHP hang out in our Discord chat. So you go to the, the Discord link is, uh, what is it, discord.com slash phpugly or something? Something like that. It's, it's, it's in the stream. Yeah, discord.gg slash phpugly. We'll get you to our Discord. And people are in there all week long. I pop in there. Thomas pops in there. John pops in there. But a lot of the people you, you hear us talking about on the show, Gishu, Syntaxid, you know, if you hear us talking to people, chances are they're in the Discord channel. So that's. I hope that clarifies some of the confusion to the people who listen to the audio podcast that we do record this live we do take audience participation and yeah that's it we'd love to have you join us one day if if you if you so can besides that this is it man this is this is our world and with that we're out of time been fun talking to you (laughs) (laughs) always trying to get out early i don't know why oh my wife got me up late last night hey lucky man yeah yeah yeah. no i was watching tv and (laughs) She didn't say, hey, go to bed. So I kept watching TV. My son kept me up late last night. He uh, ended up in the hospital. 
Oh no, what happened? Uh, he is type 1 diabetic and uh, hasn't been taking care of himself lately. And so he uh, had a super high ketone level, which was causing lots of various problems intestinally and ended up very, very dehydrated. And we took him into the ER and they said, yeah, we're keeping him here for a couple days. So he's feeling much better now. But uh, so, so he's in the hospital right now and you're here talking to us. Yes. So his mom has been spending all of her time there at the hospital with him, and the hospital's rules are one person visiting at a time right now because of coronavirus. Oh, that's right, yeah. Which he did get tested for and passed with flying colors. So uh, so I wasn't able to visit him, and then he said, hey, you know what, I'm just fine on my own, and sent mom home. So now we're just hanging out and getting lab results over the phone. But he's doing well. So speaking of uh, the coronavirus test, I actually heard something interesting last night as I was driving to pick up dinner because, you know, that's what you should be doing when there's a pandemic going on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that the the current tests are 30% false negative and 20% false positive. So there's a, there's a chance you, they tell you you're negative and there's a good chance you may still have it. There are a lot of problems with the current tests. I believe there's 20 of them on the market. Um, some of them are working correctly. Some of them are not. I don't. I heard mo- most of them are not. Yeah, only I think six of them are FDA not approved, no. but recognized, which yeah. just means that they sent paperwork into the FDA. It doesn't mean that they actually did any verification or anything like that. So there's a lot of problems with the tests that are out on the market right now. But uh, the one that he got is considered to be fairly accurate it's the most modern version and it's being used to protect the hospital so he would assume that they're going for the the best margin of error hopefully that's what we're hoping for so what you guys say john you had homework did you did you do your homework last week i did awesome part of what, it what'd you think of part, part so of it. i i asked uh, i had asked john to watch some videos on the laravel live wire for those who, who didn't catch last week's show, and if you didn't, why didn't you? Come on. Come on. But what do you think? What do you think of Livewire? I started watching it and turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> no respect, man. There's just no respect for me at all. I'm just, I don't you, do I don't do enough you're mi- Laravel work. You're missing the boat on this. I have I'm working on a project now where uh, there's a lot of logic that goes into uh, displaying the web pages, but it's um, well, no. There's a lot of logic that goes into displaying the web pages. It's like an affiliate thing where, you know, depending on 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 the customer, depending on where they're coming from, you know, it may be dis- displaying different things. And I've got all this stuff happening, and I have yet to write a control like a god honest to truth controller. Like everything I'm writing now, it's either a uh, blade component, which reminds me of something, and or a live wire component, which is basically a blade comp- component on steroids. And what, it, what I did, what I did find fascinating while watching was him pointing out even GitHub. While it's not live wire per se, it's not a traditional AJAX call where you you call, you get JSON, then you have to manipulate the the front end. It's you're making a call, you're getting back a, some snippet of HTML that you are then putting into the DOM, which is basically what Livewire is doing. Yeah, that was the demo he did. It, it blew my mind when he showed that because he was saying it. He, he was he was trying to explain it. I'm like, there's no way that's what GitHub is doing. 
then of course he opens up the inspector and he shows you where it's happening. I'm like, wow, that's that's crazy. So mm-hmm. yeah, it came to my attention while I was editing the podcast. And uh, first thing is, it's totally my fault. I kept referring to the Laravel blade components as view components. And I think even one of, I think Johnny Nash, are you talking about VUE? No, I wasn't talking about the JavaScript framework view at all. That, that's the whole point of the, the new blade components. And then coupled with Livewire is to reduce your dependency on something like Vue. So if you listen to last week's show, all the ranting and raving I was doing about quote-unquote Vue components was about Blade components, Blade Vue components, not not Vue, the JavaScript uh, framework. It was all yeah. Blade components and Livewire components. And like, Laravel, Laravel does have a VUE component, a Vue component. Oh, does it? Yeah. So you can write a view component as if it were a blade directive, and Laravel will recognize it as such and properly handle it. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. It's. I looked at it. I'm I was. You, man. I was shocked when I saw the frequency of requests that it was making, and I. I don't know if it was a bad example. I mean, I assume it was a bad example because it was making like hundreds of requests. Uh, there's some cool stuff in it for sure. But it's definitely not for me. You're crazy. It's for everybody. Every every PHP developer well, needs to get on board with this. I tell you what, I started working on a view project today. I don't. It has nothing. That's the exact opposite direction of Livewire. <laughs> I don't know why you bring it up. <laughs> what What are you What are you working on, Thomas? Uh, we've got a new page that uh, it's totally scratch built from uh, for our site mm-hmm. and. Uh, I've been talking with my boss, and he's looking at GraphQL and React Ooh, and stuff like that. GraphQL is fun. Yeah, I believe I, I believe I talked him out of GraphQL. Fortunately, what's wrong with you? You did all talk on it for for your <laughs> meetup group. I thought you right. loved it. No, I I love absolutely love GraphQL for our use case. It doesn't make sense. It is why? Why is that? Because it's not an exposed API. We have a very, very limited set of information that we pass along to our API consumers, and it doesn't need to be customizable. It doesn't need to have custom queries built out of it. It's, it would just end up in a duplication of code everywhere. Because with GraphQL, you have to write, at least with Laravel and Lighthouse, you have to write the queries that are available, and then you have to write the queries on the front end again as well. Instead of just having the query and returning JSON. That's great, Tom. I, I did it. I did it too. I don't remember writing queries. I'll have to look at it again. I, I don't. I know you did it more recently than I, I did, but I don't remember. I don't wasn't remember back, writing queries. Wasn't the back end you wrote kind of like a parameterized query, and then the front end? Right. Yes. You were passing the data. You were saying what you wanted. Right. Right. And that's so, the thing so, is, in our use case, does not have that situation. Our use case has a parameterized query defined by the endpoint, very clearly set. Like we have very, very few parameters other than basically page. I, I do see where you're coming from, where it's more suited for a public open API that right. you're, you're letting people gather the data they want versus or, what you want to give them. Or even in a development environment where you have front end versus back end. If you, if if I was the back end developer and the front end developers were going to be writing the uh, parameters in and sending the queries, that'd be fine. But 
I'm going to be doing both. I'm going to be I'm going to be sending the data through the back end and then I'm going to be fetching it through the front end and giving it to the front end guys who do the CSS around it. So it doesn't gain me anything to be doubling my work. Whereas for an API, I have a resource and See, I call my resource and it returns my JSON and I just say, here's your, here's your inputs, just do them. See, I, I, I still, I still, I, again, I get what, I, I see John's support for what you're saying, but I, I don't think it's, I disagree with you as, with the statement of it's more work. It's not more, it seems like less work to me. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, because you have to remember that GraphQL with Lighthouse, at least, doesn't respect the existing uh, relationships on your model. It can access them if you tell it to, but it doesn't automatically understand them and respect them. We have a lot of situations where all of our stuff is relationship-based, and I have to do relationship-based rules. So, you know, show me this scene if the actors are currently active or show me the latest or, you know, that kind of stuff that I would end up re-implementing all of our relationships in the GraphQL schema. And then I'd have to be explaining to the front end guys, oh yeah, accessing relationships is kind of weird. It's a nested object underneath this and this and this instead of just the JSON that they're totally used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my that's my biggest issue with it is that if I were to implement GraphQL, I'd have to re-implement thousands of relationship references and uh, mutators because mm-hmm. we have thousands. I'm gonna have to get back in there. I I, I remember to be I remember it being very smooth, very clean. Um, GraphQL using what was it called? Watchtower? Is, is that what it's called? Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, but at the same same time, you loved it so much, but we haven't done anything with it in any sort of production environment, right? Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, it, a lot a lot of it's just just fear of the unknown. I mean, you know, you don't you don't want to screw it up, especially when when it's client work, right? You don't want to in, implement something like like uh, GraphQL, and you know, six well, months later, the whole system comes crashing down. And that was that was the basis of my conversation with my boss was. I've used it. I can tell you that as the person who's going to be implementing it, it's a huge waste of time over just writing uh, resources for our models because a See, resource that's, for that's our model. That's I disagree with you. I, I don't think it's a huge. But waste I, of time. I pumped out three model resources today. If I were to go into Lighthouse and try and remap relationships for one of my models, it would take a week. Like I said, I got to get back in there and, and take another look at it. I don't remember it being that difficult. And, I have. I, I'm actually in the middle of rewriting our SDPHP website, so maybe I'll just I'll pull it in there and let people pull down like you know meetups and shows and stuff like that from from there. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll give it another look and yeah. get my head around what some of the hangups were. I, uh, I just remember enjoying it. So, you know, he he's interested in us generally moving in this direction of a more spa-like content, more. Uh, JavaScript dynamically driven stuff for speed. And uh, I got a mock-up of this page using Vue, and boy, I'm glad I took that uh, 770 hours of time on a Pluralsight. Why? Just because you know what you're doing now? Yeah, I, I hopped into it, and it was, and it made sense immediately. I just went, ah, this and this and this and this and this, and cool. All the pieces <laughs> came together really fast. Um I have a fully functional, dynamically rendering Java or JSON-driven page now, mm. with all the little bells and whistles too, like pagination and showing and hiding 
load more buttons and all that kind of stuff. Cool. Not a fan of JavaScript. You need to, you need to get on board with the live didn't, wire. Didn't write any, actually. Just wrote uh, just wrote view. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Just, just wrote your views. Uh, we have another correction from last week as well, now that we're, we're correcting our, our past mistakes. Um, oh man, we're gonna. This whole episode is gonna be that then. Yeah, do we have three hours? I thought we were. Yeah, doing a well, short we have 189 time. shows of corrections to make, fellas. We had, you know, it's gonna come back eventually. Uh, I talked to. We, we talked about the, the the agony we had last week of the fact that an administrator had run uh, RMRF slash on a production server. We did get some feedback for for those out there. We don't let everybody on production boxes with admin privileges. This was somebody who belonged there, who knew what they were doing, who made a mistake. So there was a, there was a lot of that out there. Uh, a, you know, I was going to people... call out who it was, too, and I didn't. And lot... I found out the next day I was 100% right who it was. Of course. We only have a couple of admins at that level who we'd have on production boxes. And Canadians. But... <laughs> Don't hold the fact that he's Canadian against them. No, it's, he's just he's more you know they're they're more of the uh, better to ask forgiveness than permission types. Uh, Lots of they, sorry. They they're really good at apologizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah really good. Um, we did get got a lot of feedback on aliasing RM to RM I, which is interactive mode, and in my opinion, that's just that's just crazy because you have to confirm each delete and. You know, we're, we're working on servers with like thousands of files at time, so that really wasn't. Some people pointed us to some replacements for RM, some uh, Unix stuff, but I don't know. I'm a little leery about that stuff on production boxes. Which we'll just make a better attempt at being more careful. But the big mistake we made is I, I was griping about how DigitalOcean had this nice backup workflow on their platform, which which took very little effort on our part to implement. And I was amazed that Amazon didn't have that after all, all these years and all the services they offer. They don't have a simple backup solution. Well, it turns out they don't. Somebody pointed it out. I guess they released it last year. And it's, it's you know, we're, we're I, I, I need to reach out to our admin and see if he actually implemented it. But it sounds like it does exactly what I was hoping for, where you just point it to an instance to say, okay, take a snapshot of this every night or something. So it's, uh, I haven't... it's, it's the, it's the fifth row down and it's the 18th column across. <laughs> exactly. And it's called, it's, it's in called, there somewhere. Yeah. It's called road safety. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're familiar with the, uh, with the AWS naming. That's nice. Yes. Um, their, their naming scheme is, uh, is, uh, what did I tell Google? A complete clusterfuck. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll throw uh, I'll throw it in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> and I, I want to again thank uh, listeners. Think um, uh, I, I don't know if we got this from a listener or from Twitter, but I was pretty active on Twitter this week and uh, got a lot of great feedback. I I kind of miss being like when you're sitting at home for weeks at a time. Like nothing's happening to me to tweet about. You know, there's just nothing to there's nothing to post about. And I, I got a, I got on a little bit of a roll this past week and got some feedback. It was nice. It was really nice. I really gotta get back into it. It's it's yeah. just so hard to stay on top of it. I think I follow too many people. That's the problem. Mm. So then I, then I just feel like I'm not keeping up with any conversation, and then I just kind of die out until I have something I want to say. 
Yeah, I definitely stopped caring. Like, stop caring if I if I if I was missing conversations. Uh, I just pop on. Yeah, you know, I see what's going on. I have TweetDeck is really my sweet spot because I have I have lists set up for like certain topics. Like, I have a Laravel list. I have a VIP list, and I just go and look in those lists to see to catch up on on kind of those chats and. That's all. Most times, that's all I really worry about. Speaking of Laravel, yes, this is your weekly update. Laravel seven ten is now out. Uh, I will be pushing Laravel seven ten out to production on Monday. There we go. See, right nine, in time nine. for seven eleven. Yeah, perfect timing. See, you're Ugh. embracing. You're embracing the the the, the quick piece. I hundred percent am not. I am so <laughs> sick of this. Um, I really got to got to update the one application I maintain. <laughs> Good yeah, luck. I think you're you're a couple major versions behind, aren't you, John? Probably. Let's say yes. <clears throat> Let's go with because, yes. Sure. Because because I do not know. I don't keep up with it like Thomas does. So the nice thing, what I ended up doing is I, I told you that my Laravel upgrade was delayed because of the newly introduced pointless route collisions. <laughs> It's not pointless. It's it's a good practice, but go ahead. So it turns out that because the routes are uh, method agnostic, <clears throat> I could just delete the post routes names. So I could have unnamed mm-hmm. routes for my posts, and it would still resolve to the same uh, URL, and the method would be defined by the form, not by the route action. So, so it, it eventually worked out, uh, deleted 300 route names and got it through testing. So it's uh, good to go. Are you guys uh, big on testing Thomas? Uh, I mean like we, we've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not part of your, uh, CI CD flow. No. So our testing is very much a manual process and takes a long time. Uh, it's when you say by... manual, is it somebody going to the site and clicking around? Yes. <laughs> why would they? Why would they not do that? Put that into a Selenium script and kick that uh, off? I believe the official answer is we have more important things to focus on. So I, I use Ghost Inspector for that very thing, and it's been great. I mean, it's it's, it's not just that the the page loads and doesn't throw a five hundred. It's that they have a very specific idea of how things should work, and that often doesn't get communicated until the project goes out for testing. So they'll, they'll go to test it and say, oh yeah, the pagination is supposed to be like this instead of like this. Or, oh yeah, there's supposed to be uh, three items per row instead of five. Right, and that's fine for new features, but how do you, what about regression? Like once Everything they have is what new they, features. Oh, well. Okay. Bug fixes I'm just gonna go, go out. Go. I don't bother anyone with them, but almost, I would say 95% of what we do is new features. So, yeah, it's uh, it's its own challenge. So, John and I have hit a little bit of a pain point with CI. Um, we've been, yeah, I was going to bring that up, too. We've been trying to simplify our workflows. And, I mean, seriously... We're pushing as much stuff into GitHub as we can as far as, like, project management. And the whole goal is just to simplify the communication and not slow down 
uh, the development cycle. <coughs> and I guess I think it was last week John implemented uh, Git GitHub Actions on a repo, right? Yeah, and yeah. it it sounds promising until you realize it doesn't work on forked repos. And our entire workflow is derived from our developers forking the main repo and doing their work and submitting pull requests, kind of like an open source flow, but that's just what's worked for me on all of our projects. And GitHub does not support the idea of if a developer opens a pull request, it kicking off a GitHub work or action. And the reason behind it is they're, they have a lot of open source repositories and GitHub actions are going to be charged. You know, you you only get so many actions per month. And if I was a bad actor and was just open a ton of pull requests against an open source repo, I could run them out of uh, their runs they can do in a month or run up their bill, however they decide to, to do that billing. But in at the same time, I'm like, but this, these are private repos. The people I give access to open a pull request, I trust. And if not, I can shut down their their access to it. So right are now, you... yeah, right now the way it works is if somebody opens a pull request, once I merge, the actions will run. But that's kind of defeats the purpose, except for if you're using GitHub Actions, not for the continuous integration, the testing piece, but more as the, the deployment piece, that works fine. But I want, before I spend time reviewing somebody's code, I want to see that all the tests pass or, you know, let NPM and Composer run to make sure all the packages I need get in there and the test pass. And that was my thing. It's like when, when, when John explained that, I'm like, all right, I get it. But as the repo owner, it would be nice if they could give you the ability to even <laughs> just kick it off. Say, okay, I'm thinking about merging this PR run this GitHub action against it, and you can't you can't even do that. You can't even manually run GitHub actions. It doesn't run until you merge it. Like, that's counterproductive. Yeah. So, yeah, I was frustrated. So we're either stuck stuck not using it or changing our workflow where everyone works out of a single repo. Which sounds out of curiosity, just because that's not how we do it. I've heard of plenty of other people doing that doing it that way. Thomas, what do you guys do? You are you're, you're muted, muted, I think. Oop. We don't involve any of the GitHub features. No, uh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. No. I meant, I meant. Do you work out of forked repos, or does everyone work out of the same? We work repo? out of um, GitFlow branches. And right, but that's, that's but still they, doesn't answer the question. Do, are they your do you single fork? repo? Okay, oh, you don't force yeah, a single repo. single repo uh, GitHub. Uh, uh, Git flow branches with a uh, merge master uh, rule. So people can't merge their own stuff in. They request it of the, you know, three mm-hmm. people that are approved to do branch merges. Right. So, so GitHub actions would work for you. That's just not how we've done business on any of our projects. Do you guys yeah. clean up branches after they're merged? I mean, how do you keep the repo tidy? We do not. So you just have a bunch of abandoned branches on your on your repo? Uh, we have abandoned branches on local machines. The repo, when you do a Git flow feature finish, it cleans up the origin. So cleans up the origin. Yeah. It, yeah I don't, I don't. Or origin in, in our case it would be upstream. It, it cleans up. The, it goes and deletes the branch. Yeah. But what? But it can't delete the branch till the pull request is merged, right? Right. 
We don't do pull requests. What do you do? It's we're merging straight into develop through Git Flow. I pull develop so, and I pull their so branch. So Git Flow is if all Git Flow is is just a a practice of how you how you do Git requests. So there's how, no how you, special how you branch and merge. Right there, there's no special framework with Git Flow. It's it's just doing normal yeah, there's, Git. Yeah, there's there yeah. are some specialized tools that are part of Git Flow. Yeah, all the all those special tools do is simplify the commands. So when you're doing a hot fix, it merges to uh, master and develop for you. Right. <clears throat> so, it, so it automates my, it automates point, a lot of the Git commands for you. Exactly my point. It's no special tool. It's just doing what you can do in Git and, and making it a little simpler for people who aren't as savvy with Git. That, right. that was my point. It, it's not doing anything you can't do with Git. No, right. it's not. But what it is Thank doing you. is if I, do a fe- if I say feature finish, then it goes into develop. It says Git merge the name of the feature into develop. Then it deletes the feature branch and it deletes the upstream feature branch. And then I push out develop. So now develop has been updated on my machine and then pushed out to our storage. Right. So Gishu, Gishu is asking for clarification on our workflow. So what happens in our workflow, Gishu, is that a repo is established for a project. That repo actually has very min- We try to keep very minimal branches on it. We, we'll have, usually we'll have a dev, uh, a staging and production, bra- or master, dev staging master branch on those repos. Occasionally a feature branch might, might find its way in there or a POC branch might fit, find its way in there. But for the most part, we try to keep it to three branches. Our developers then fork that repo to their own private uh, GitHub accounts. And there, there they can do whatever they want. If they're anything like me, I create a thousand different branches. I'm always uh, committing and pushing whips, uh, you know, works in progress. And I, you know, I'll completely mess up my, my repo, but when I have something to, to contribute back to the project, I'll open up a pull request against whichever branch it belongs to. So if we have a, a dev environment, you know, we'll, we'll merge to dev. And there's a whole workflow. Usually it goes to dev first just to make sure it, it does a breaking thing and gives other developers a chance to look at it. Sometimes the clients will look at it on dev. It goes to staging. Staging is typically a mirror of production. We try to do that as much as possible. So it, it's deployed to a staging environment, but the staging branch is just, if it's anything, it's one commit ahead of master. And then that staging gets merged with master. So that's usually our workflow. And it works well. I like, personally, I like it because I'll go all over the board with branches and commits just to save my spot or where where I'm at and I would not want to do that into like a, a I mean you, we, so you and I do it the same way we will we will just commit to a branch I've become a big fan of rebasing lately so I will clean up my commits eventually but a lot of other people actually use get stashing for that type of thing where mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm in the middle of something I'll stash it I'll move on to, to something else I've been doing the the forked repos, you know, for a decade now, and that's just the workflow I became most comfortable with. But again, there's lots of other people that that do it out of a single repo. I'm more right. fascinated it, by Thomas not doing pull requests and not 
So does that mean there's no code review? Uh, it means that the there is very little code review for fixes. Mm. Actually, I, I would I would go so far as to say there's very little code review in general, except that I know that the all-seeing eye does catch uh, pushes and just makes sure they're sane or makes sure that people are on the right project. Um, so you don't do a lot of testing. You don't have a lot of code review. We move very, very fast. Like the feature I'm working on, the, the <laughs> view-based one, that'll be out in next week. You know, it's yeah. we are we operate at the pace yeah. that we're we're asked to. Yeah, but there's still we just had a big meeting internally about code review because I become a huge proponent of it. Where I've learned a ton from having great code review, and I want to continue that. So I've been doing code review on some of our uh, projects lately, and I want our t- entire team to be involved on it in it. And we do that through pull requests. You know, we open a pull request, somebody else has to review the code and approve it before somebody can merge it. An important thing to remember is that your environment has different expectations for code quality uh, when code is released. You have a reputation to uphold. You have uh, stakeholders who are reviewing everything and making sure that it's up to snuff. My stakeholders are reviewing the results of my code. And if something does not work correctly, we just fix it. And it's not like someone loses reputation from that. Well, that's uh, the way that's the way we worked for years with the main project I work on. It, it was that very cowboy style. Like, I, yeah. They just care about the, the feature working. They don't care how you get it to work. And it goes back to my bad practices of, I code quick. I can I can make something work, just not elegantly. The yeah. problem is, you know, years down the road or months down the road, somebody else tries to either change that or they're they're on a separate feature but want to use pieces and parts of what you've written, but you've wrote it so poorly they can't. Which where, I have. Right. It's called job where, security, John. <laughs> that's poor job security. Where with good code review and making sure you're doing good best practices as you're coding it allevi- alleviates some of those problems down the road i don't i don't disagree but i would say that we only have two back-end developers and we work on very separate projects and so it's it's still a very cowboy <clears throat> cowboy coding atmosphere because of that yeah but there's still the the fact that even the most senior developers can still learn things right so yeah. through code review, you you may just if you have the only set of eyes on a, on a problem that you're solving, you may be solving it one way that yeah might work, but there could be better ways to do it. And having just another set of eyes could change that drastically. Yeah, and I I, I don't disagree. Uh, it's just that our environment has not been that way ever since I was here. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, although. I will say that my boss does take time to say, oh, I noticed you're doing it this way. We don't do it this way anymore. We do it this way. Uh, He will ask me about how I'm doing something a certain way, and he'll disseminate that information to the other developers. So it's, there is a, there is oversight. It's just not me doing any oversight. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, 
going back to Discord, uh, Gishu brought up GitHub Actions, and he said he says it works in forked repos, and he's correct. Our developers, if they had GitHub Actions enabled on their account, the actions would run in their account. But that doesn't help me when I'm looking at a list of pull requests, knowing that an action has run and passed. I would have to stop the code review, go to their repo, look at the action, check that it worked, where if it were to run in my upstream repo, I would get the little green check mark saying, hey, this action is run and has passed. That's what I want. That's what I, I use my CI tools for is before, a, before any code review is done, pull request is open, CI is kicked off, and then the status is reported back to, to GitHub saying passed or failed. If it's failed, it immediately goes back to the author, whoever's working on the code. They have to fix those issues before anybody else wastes their time on a code review. If I'm now saying, no, you have to go to somebody else's repo to check the status, it that just doesn't work. Uh, speaking of GitHub, boy, they're going kind of crazy, aren't they? Oh, man, did you see the, the satellite uh, event that they had today? They're, I guess it's kind of their conference. Y- yesterday it was. Yeah, I didn't oh, it see yesterday? it. Yeah. I didn't see it, but I saw everyone talking about Code Spaces today. Mm. There were two big things that came out of it. Code Space was one of them. And basically, Code, code Space is what we've been talking about for a while. It's that merging of VS Code Online with the GitHub uh, repo and allows you to code online. Um, they, they said in their presentation that they're, they're going to have an option to open up other editors. I assume that means locally, but uh, yeah, this is cool. Now you, you've always, you've been able to edit files online for a while in, in GitHub um, and you can do commits and everything, but this gives you a full development environment, a full VS code implementation to manage your repo um i'm very excited about this it is very cool i could see i could see php storm being uh very scared by this i i gotta think they they've got this they've got to be getting nervous here soon Uh, just JetBrains in general because of how solid of a all-purpose tool vs code has become um i don't know maybe they're not maybe they're not worried about it but I would be. And then there was something else that got announced. Do you remember what the other thing was, John? I, no, because the only when I looked through the, what was being the presentations that they had, I was really only interested in these GitHub Actions presentations. Mm-hmm. And even then, I didn't get to see them live because I was in meetings all day. And when I wasn't in meetings, I was trying to make time for my wife since we were celebrating 20 years. Wow, uh, 20 years. Nice, yeah. man. It was our 20-year anniversary. Very cool. Oh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I totally forget what the what the other thing was. I remember the thing was very very cool. Oh, it'll come to me. I'm I'm, cl- I'm clicking through the clicking through the website now. See so I can see. Oh, that's that's what it was. The uh the stop vulnerability uh where it's where it'll scan it'll scan code now for like best practices and and security flaws. That that was the other <gasps> thing. That was like, oh. Wow, that is awesome. All right, I might be wrong. Gishu might be onto something. What what did Gishu say? <laughs> he didn't say anything, but I went to settings and said, hey, these, these tests have to pass before they can be merged. And all of a sudden, the actions started running on all of our 
pull requests. Look at that. We didn't even have to wait an entire show to, to retract what we said the previous week. We're just we're, getting called <laughs> up, man. Yeah, we're more and more efficient every episode. So it's still not running. It's still not running in the action spaces of the upstream repo, but it does appear to be running somewhere. And I'll let you know if it passes or not. Is, is they, this, they, is they this the... Off. Waiting for status to be reported. I, I think I know what repo you're talking about, so I'm going to pop over there and take a look. It's exciting stuff, man. We'll see. Oh, yeah, I see yellow is all down the list now. Well, that's that's promising. Oh, yeah, except, look at that. Except I went, I went to the author's repo, and I don't see it running there, so I my excitement is now being squashed. <laughs> and you're sure it's not running in our repo? Because I see a ton yeah. of... All, all those yellow, it's just saying, hey, we're waiting for a status to be reported. doesn't mean it's going to be. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder hey, where it's running at. It's not. Speaking of uh, squashed hopes and dreams. Yep, yep, that's what <laughs> we're talking about. <clears throat> I got my uh, feet back into Docker recently, and in doing so, Docker on Windows. And I found out that, remember when I re- reported that uh, you could natively browse the Linux file system now in Windows? I don't mm-hmm. remember you talking about that. It turns out that that was a feature of WSL2. Windows subsystem for Linux. Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> it's a big upgrade. Apparently running a native Linux kernel that is specially built to map to the Windows kernel and just sort of decide on the fly how it's going to run uh, Win32 objects or Linux objects or anything like that. And it worked fantastically until I got to NPM. Okay. So I, had, I have a, a Docker Compose with five containers, one of them being a workspace container. And on my Ubuntu machine, the workspace container, I would run npm install, and it was perfectly happy and fine. But on my Windows machine in WSL2, npm install fails. And I spent hours and hours trying to figure out why, and I couldn't tell you. You still can't tell us? Still can't tell you. And I I can tell you that it's tied to the fact that we are still running Gulp instead of Webpack. Wow. Okay. You You know that's been deprecated, right? Yes, since 4. Got deprecated in 4.5, I think. Okay. Uh, And yes, we just still use it because that's what we use. Okay. So all of our Node stuff is ancient, unsupported, and will only work in our very specific Vagrant environment that we have running. (laughs) And I tried... Ouch. I tried very hard to match all of the globally installed packages the exact versions, all of the permissions, and like I said, the exact same Docker container when running under a Linux operating system had no problem. When running under a Windows system, just did not want to work. <laughs> and I think it's because the Windows, the WSL, reports itself not as one of the three operating systems, Mm-hmm. but as a fourth operating system. So the three operating systems, according to, to Node, are uh, Darwin, which is Mac, Windows, and Linux. Mm-hmm. And when WSL reports itself as Windows subsystem for Linux. And because these packages are so old, and because I'm running on an NPM version that is, I think, eight versions behind, eight main versions behind... I'm just not going to see updates to fix the problems I'm having. No, no, you're not. At least you, at least you acknowledge that. So my Docker adventure 
is on hold until we switch to Webpack. Uh, all right. Good luck with that, man. But I did learn a lot. I can tell you that Laradoc is one of the coolest little projects I've seen in a long time. Um, out of the box, super bloated. Uh-huh. But you trim it down to what you want, and it's got damn near everything. You should check out that Devil's Box as well. That's another one that we know of. It's kind of, kind of the same, same premise. Uh, Devil's Box is uh, a Docker configuration that has a lot of bells and whistles. It's a, it's a little bit more... Um, trim back than than Laradox is, but it's a good one. It's a, I have it uh, on my machine actually. Uh, but I got a question for you guys. We're we're running late here. Um, we just we just talk for so long now. It's like this is awesome, man. But conferences, Lar- Laravel, um, PHP conferences are going up you know, online because of the obviously because of the COVID thing. Laravel US has officially gone online. Uh, so the cool thing about conferences being online is the cost is usually <laughs> drastically reduced instead of being, I think Laracon last year was about, what was it, like three or $400, John? Do you remember? Yeah, it was more than that. I thought it was more, but maybe I not. I think out the door it was 3500 It wasn't 3500 Oh, <laughs> maybe with travel and everything. But yeah. anyways, it's expensive to, to, to go to conferences. And usually online conferences clock in. Between, I've seen them as low as 10, as, as high as like 30, 40 bucks. Laracon US is going for around 30 bucks. Oh, it's really? nice I, for I, us. I think PHP Tech and World are like 200 for just for just the recordings. But it's also... Really? I think they're also... I could be wrong. I'm sorry if I am, guys, really. <laughs> but I, well, I well, know their conference is also like $800 just to go. Right. Well, that, that's what I was going to bring up is, you know, I... We, we we do a lot of stuff with PHP Architect. We know those guys. We talk to them fairly regularly. And I've been kind of holding on to either World is going to happen, PHP World, because PHP Tech was already canceled. Either PHP World is going to happen or they're going to do something online. And I'd be interested. I don't know they are, but I'd, I'd like to see them. But there there is a PHP online conference that got announced. But again, it, it's going for like, Three, let me see, it's $349 euro, which is got to be about 300 bucks US. Yeah. That just seems like a lot of money for an online conference. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I think people, the people who organize and do these things need to make their money's worth. And there's a lot of overhead in the conferences, you know, the, the in-person conferences. And I think when you roll in, profit or $200 profit per ticket, it doesn't seem like as much. But when it's an online conference, if you want to make that same profit margin, it seems like, you know, 10 times the the service price. But these are valuable things and they're, they should be priced to profit the person organizing it and the people involved in running it. I don't know. We didn't make a profit John. Maybe that's what we did wrong. We (laughs) charge more money. God damn it. We were supposed to make money off that? Yeah. Well, you, you, you could yeah. cut the early birds off a little earlier next time. Don't remind me. <laughs> I, so, on, on a related topic, I learned something new about Zoom this week. Zoom, did you, that they bought Keybase? Well, they, they, they did do that today. <laughs> I, that was announced. Good or bad, I don't know yet. Um, but they offer breakout rooms. So, 
you could be in a, in a conference with a bunch of people and then you can separate and say, okay, these 10 people are going to go talk over here. What? Well, but, but the administrator or the host has to say who's going to be where. A great feature, especially when everything starts to move to online conferences, is to have here's the conference rooms, here's like three or four or or let people create their own rooms because somebody else brought up that's the whole point of conferences is you you might start talking to somebody and you want to step away so you could create your own little breakout room but can you imagine just like well here's room one and this here's the schedule for room one and you could just bounce between i want to go to this talk and then switch over to another talk right from within one application i i thought that was really it could be a really cool feature if zoom would implement that the way they have their breakout rooms now it's more of a pain in the ass agreed that's kind of now that you mention it i'm i'm starting to think about the ethereum driven vr system um boy i wish i could remember it that was a perfect segue there it reminds me about this. I have no clue what it was. Uh. Decentraland. What's Decentraland, Thomas? Uh, it's like a. It's like someone's trying to build the VR cyberpunk future using <laughs> Ethereum as its root in some way. Um, there is like real estate and avatars and all sorts what? of stuff. What is this? What is this? Am I on the right site here? Market.decentraland.com. Just decentraland.org. Oh, you're right. It is .org. Jeez. Um, yeah, I'm. I need to look into that. That's that gives me lots of great ideas. Well, ideas. Uh, how would you guys like some good, shiny, happy, feel-good news from you? Not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. The .org sale has been denied. Denied. What do you know, man? That's crazy. Is, uh, it, if- is it? Was it? From my wonderful state of California? Uh, it started with California, forced a referendum in the uh, shareholders of ICANN, and they voted the sale down. So it is officially voted down, done, out of business, not going to happen. That's good news. I mean, I think it's good news, but yeah, it feels like it's good news. I, I definitely think it's good news. On the mm. on the sort of, I kind of don't know what this means news end of things, there's an interesting ruling out of the EU about the little cookie warnings that show up on your page. Mm-hmm. They've ruled that you cannot block access to a site by requiring cookies. So if a person does not consent to tracking cookies then you still have to allow them to use the site it's called a cookie wall interesting yeah Yeah. and uh that's an interesting sort of it's interesting to see how quickly the eu is dealing with these kinds of issues they also voted that uh scrolling on a page is not consent so if someone continues to use the site that doesn't mean that they consent to cookie which means that the warning that well the warning that says hey we use cookies is not enough anymore. You can't use cookies and then tell people that you're using cookies. They have to explicitly opt in to receive tracking cookies or non-essential cookies. But they don't opt in. They, they still should be able to use the site. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be fun to code. And just a little bit of, uh, of PHP 8 news. Trailing commas in function parameters are now accepted. So that means that you can treat 
functions the same way you treat arrays with a trailing comma at the end of your parameter list. Mm. And the most interesting one so far, attributes. There is officially now support for engine-aware attributes in PHP 8. What does that mean? So all of the doc block stuff that Drupal uses, or uh, I'm sorry, not Drupal, the the database engine that uh, Symfony uses. Doctrine? Doctrine. All of the doc block based functionality that Doctrine uses now has an officially supported format in PHP. So you can use reflection to get the attributes of a function and say this function defines that there's a table and the attributes of this function define the structure of the table. Hmm. Hmm. So you don't have to have the Doctrine interpreter layer between it now you can actually build that into the system which i think is really cool but another interesting thing that's coming out now is big argument is named parameters in functions and methods and this is a python type syntax where you don't have to include your parameters in the format in the in the order that they're listed on the function you can say name equals tom and last name equals writeout, or you can say last name equals writeout, first name equals Tom, and when it gets to the function, it's just automatically handled in the correct order. Oh, I was wondering about that, because the, the first example they show, I'm like, my IDE already does that. It already tells me what they are, but you're saying you could you can put them in a different order if you want. Right. I'm, that's going to be fascinating. I wonder how, I'm, I mean, I'm sure PHP Storm can, will be able to handle it once that's available, but... Yeah, PyCharm handles it just fine. Does the, it? the interesting thing about this is if you take that functionality and combine it with the spread operator, then you can predefine all of the parameters of a function in an array and then spread that array into the function call, and it'll just work. So you can Because you it can, won't have to be in a specific order in the array. Right. So you can build stuff using the factory method and just sort of like slowly build out what an object is going to be. And then you can instantiate that object all at once by spreading your definition into a constructor. It's cool stuff. Um, That's not voted in yet. That's something that's really big up on the uh, internals chat. But uh, it's interesting to see this stuff that I've just been learning the last month showing up all of a sudden in PHP 8. This was was announced or brought up back in... 2013. Yes. A lot of the stuff that's being included now was brought up a long time ago. The implementations were not necessarily complete or uh, well thought out or well explained. So a lot of the stuff that's getting voted on now is considered V2. Like uh, the attributes stuff is attributes version 2, where somebody started over from scratch to find the scope of the work and then actually built out a functional version of PHP 8 that did it and then gave it to the board for review along with all of the positives, negatives, and comparing to other languages. I'm curious, what does, does it have a speed impact uh, having to spend the time to figure out the order, like what arguments go with what which expected argument, or is that figured out at compile time? But there's still got to be some sort of layer there that, that translates that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a layer there no matter what because it's interpreted into tokens, but then... I'm not sure. I, I don't know internals even close to well enough to address that. Well, what good are you? But that's None. why we had you I've here. I've never, again, never said I'm any good at all. Wow. All right. I hate to say this. Eric looks tired. We should be wrapping up, I think. Thanks, time to wrap up. Yes. Gishu, thank you for all your 
or your help. I still don't. I still don't have uh, actions working the way you think they should be. Yes, Thank you to our Patreons. Excited, but our the, patrons yes, on Patreon. I got, I got, I got the hey. Patreon page. I need to update the Patreon page, but it's there. Um, gotta gotta update the the users who are on here. And as I said last week, I I have access to Patreon now. Uh, I see a couple people have exceeded our reward uh, threshold, so. I'll uh, work on getting you some awards. I, I I need to actually go in the office and pick things up for you, but I'll get uh, I'll get those out here at some point. I promise you, I won't leave you hanging. And we do thank everybody who sponsors us on Patreon. It's uh, it's been helpful and flattering and flattering. More flattering than anything else. <laughs> Don't say that. All right, that's it for episode one eighty nine. That's it for the eighties. Next week, we, we, we tackle the 90s, and then we're 200. It's awesome. I don't I'll think I'm going to make, I'm not make it for week? the 200 episode. Yeah. I checked my calendar. I checked my calendar. I'm not going to make it. Why change your pattern? I mean, I'm surprised. You. This is probably the longest streak you've ever been on, so I'm actually impressed. Okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm Eric. I'm John. I'm Tom. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsors, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. That's www.diegodev.com. Show notes and RSS feeds can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly or join us in our Discord channel. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast listener. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. Until next time, keep it ugly. Keep it ugly.